All right, well, let's pray one more time. We are concluding our series on the life of Daniel this morning. This is part seven. I'm calling this a legacy of devotion. We're gonna be in Daniel chapter six. Let's pray one more time. Just ask the Lord to come and speak to us again through the life of Daniel that some things may be rooted deep in us about how we can live lives devoted to God. So Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. God, any devotion that we bring, any faithfulness that we have, Lord, it's rooted first and foremost in your faithfulness. God, you are a rock, you are a firm foundation. Lord, we acknowledge all kinds of ways in our lives, Lord, that, that we can struggle, we can get off track, we can be unfaithful. God, we thank you that, that you are faithfully devoted to us, to your people. God, we're grateful for that. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would just anchor some things deep in our hearts that would give us just that rock solid foundation of how we can live a life devoted to you. How do we walk with you every day of our life, entrusting our lives into your care? God, would you plant that truth inside of us today? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so we're, we're at um, the story in the life of Daniel that is like the most famous, right? I mean, who hasn't heard of Daniel in the lion's den? I would, I would even bet that folks who've never gone to church or read the Bible are at least familiar that there was a guy named Daniel and there was a story of him being in a lion's den. I mean, everybody's just so familiar with this story. And um, the power in this story is, is realizing what is transpiring in Daniel's life that enable him to face this and navigate through it. Like it's, it's pretty stunning to think about. And so let's just jump right into this story and, and see what all we might be able to grab hold of from Daniel's life in the middle of this. So we're gonna pick up right where we left off last Sunday. The kingdom has just transferred from um, Babylonian rule, you know, after Nebuchadnezzar had ruled for a long time. And then over a period of five or six years, there was kind of this battle for who was gonna hold his throne after he died. And we got into all that last week. And then ultimately it kind of landed on his grandson who was ruling. And now his time was coming to an end. And in fact, Babylon was now, after they had captured a lot of places, but had captured um, Israel as a part of that, and Daniel was in captivity to Babylon, they are now being conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And so the kingdom has transferred, and right as this is happening, Daniel has been placed in like this really primary position in this new kingdom. So that's where we're picking things up. So Daniel chapter six, verses one and two. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one and to whom these satraps would give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. So he's organizing his government. This new guy has come in, he's taken charge of Babylon. And so he's basically putting in like governors, if you will, mayors, however you wanna look at it, these 120 guys that were gonna be spread throughout Babylon in the area that he now ruled and governed. And he was forming a government and then he said, okay, these 120 guys, I'm gonna have them report to kind of these three high level, high officials that'll work directly with me. And it's those three guys that I will, you know, work with, listen to, direct. And so Daniel is one of these three high officials. I mean, he's at a top level spot 
and this new government. Now, this should already blow our minds. Like, he's a captive from another country who's been enslaved under the rule of Babylon. Now Babylon has fallen and he's been elevated once again into this place. And so here in the middle of this, the first thing I want you to see this morning is that there was something about Daniel that just stood out. So point number one this morning is that Daniel's life spoke. His life spoke, who he was at his core, what governed him. It spoke volumes. So let's check this out. First of all, in verse three, it tells us a little bit more about what leads Daniel to be elevated. It says, then this Daniel, one of the three high officials, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel's devotion to the Lord had so shaped his character that it caused him to be distinguished and elevated. He didn't have to push himself forward. He didn't have to try to like kind of play the game everybody else is playing. How do I move up the hierarchy? How do I get promoted? How do I achieve the highest level? Daniel was simply anchored in who God had called him to be. That excellent spirit was in him. And just by being a guy devoted to the Lord, it had so changed and shaped his character that it stood out. It stood out. He was distinguished. He was recognized. So much so that the king's going, man, I don't just need these three guys answering to me. I could put Daniel in charge of all of them because I can just trust him. He can be my right-hand man. Listen, we could, we could preach a whole sermon just around this concept, but what I want you to see is Daniel's life has led to this. Daniel is now in his late 80s or early 90s. When they, when they came into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, he was like a teenager, maybe 17 to 21 in that range. This guy who started as a young man in a foreign land who the one defining characteristic of his life is that he was devoting his life to the Lord. I'm gonna be devoted to you. I'm gonna live an uncompromising life. Not a perfect life, a devoted life. And now years later of living that way, walking that way, it had, it had defined him. It had refined him. His character was rooted in his devotion to the Lord. And so he got elevated not because he was super smart, not because he was really skilled, not because he kind of played good office politics and got to move up the ladder for none of those reasons. He was distinguished and stood out because he had an excellent spirit in him. Some of us, maybe the only thing we need to hear this morning is that we need to remember why we are where we are and why we are who we are. For some of us, that's just what we need to hear this morning. It's so easy along the way in our life to begin to take for granted the grace of God that's in our life and begin to think we're more responsible for the position we're in instead of recognizing, man, it is his grace. It's his presence that's placed me here. 
I need to hold on to that sense of remembering why I'm here. It's this excellent spirit that God is with me. It's his spirit in me. It's his presence in my life that has changed me. And so I'll allow him to elevate me when I'm elevated. I'm able to be low when I'm low. That was kind of a part of what we looked at last week. Daniel had been kind of forgotten. But he was, he was rooted in his walk with the Lord. So Daniel's life spoke and he was elevated. Now, Daniel's life spoke and some people didn't like what his life, uh, what his life said. <laughs> they didn't like the opportunities that were being given to him. And this is an important thing to remember, friends. As we allow ourselves to be defined by God and we are devoted to him and we walk with him, at times we'll experience blessing as a result of that. We'll be flourishing. We'll experience um, peace, success, good outcomes. We'll be respected by others. Like we'll experience the benefits of being devoted to the Lord. But friends, at other times, being faithful and devoted to the Lord, it will bring about hatred towards us. Look at the very next verse, verses four and five. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. I, I want you to think about this for a second. Even in the midst of Daniel being hated, like his devotion to God was recognized. He was experiencing success. But even in the midst of that, the very people that hated him couldn't deny the fact that he was a faithful guy. His very enemies recognized his character. In fact, they said the only thing we're gonna find wrong with him is if he's so devoted to God that it causes a conflict with the king. I don't know about you, when I read that, it's pretty convicting. <laughs> the, the people around me in my life, people who are annoyed by me, frustrated with me, don't particularly like me, can, do they look at our lives and say, wow, there's just something different and unique about that person. Look at their faithfulness to God. Like, is that, is that what speaks? Now, if we approach our lives being worried about what other people think, it's a trap. We get lost chasing like a good reputation or earning the approval of man and things are out of balance. Daniel's not wrapped up in that. He's devoted to the Lord and trusts him. But the results of that are that his life speaks. And so even people who hate God and who are after their own selfish gain and don't particularly like Daniel, even them, they look at his life and go, we, we can't deny this guy's faithfulness. We can't deny, we find no fault in him. It's stunning really. And so these men who like, even in the midst of his devotion and his success, they wanna bring him down. They wanna tear him down. And so they develop this scheme. So verses six through nine kind of capture this. These guys devise a scheme based upon Daniel's devotion to God. How can we trap him? We'll base it on how faithful he is to God. 
And so they come up with a scheme that appeals to the new king's pride. Now, now think about this new king. He's coming in, taking over this territory, and he's trying to get control of it. He's trying to establish it. And so these guys do two things. They appeal to his desire to unite the kingdom. And so their plan is they come to him and say, let's make a rule in, in all of the land where you have influence. No one can, can seek help, can petition, can even pray to anyone but you. They can't go to their local satrap. They can't pray to whatever God they worship. They come to you and you alone. And the way the guys present their plan is they say, we've all talked about this and feel like this is a great idea. They're presenting a united front. And so he's going, wow, I can see my whole kingdom united over this 30-day period with this plan these guys came up with where everyone has to simply acknowledge me as the ruler. And so he gets kind of peace in his government. And of course, they appeal to his pride. They will treat you like a God. And so for the sake of pride and prosperity, for the sake of pride and peace, they devise this plan that appeals to the king. And what were the consequences? If anyone refused to do this, to petition and pray to the king alone, if anyone refuses to do this, they'll be thrown to the lions. Daniel's life so spoke that those who respected him, they, they wanted to honor and elevate him. And those who couldn't stand him, the only fault they could find was in his devotion to God. And so in the midst of all of this unfolding, here's Daniel, and this, this is unbelievable to me. This is so cool. They devise this plan, they present it to the king, the king loves the idea, it appeals to, to what he wants and needs in this moment. He signs the document, all right, 30 days, it goes into effect. No one can pray to anyone but me. And look at Daniel chapter six, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, Daniel is not caught by surprise. He knows what's happening. He knows the scheme against him. He's even aware that the king himself has agreed to it. And when he knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. And he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He knew what it was gonna cost him and he went out windows wide open and did what he always did. Three times a day, got down in front of the open window looking towards Jerusalem and he brought his petition and his plea to God. He prayed. Friends, this does not happen overnight. Daniel's disciplined life, Daniel's devoted life, it did not happen overnight. He cultivated this commitment over time. Like, I, friends, I fear for many of us in the church, we've, we've lost the value of godly discipline. Like, I, I think, and I've spoken about this, I think that somewhere along the way, over the decades in the American church, like, we adopted a lot of mindsets that became very rigid and legalistic and were based in just 
ritual and routine. Here's the things I'm supposed to do. And if I'm doing those, I'm a good Christian. If I'm not doing those, I'm a bad Christian. And a lot of like shame and guilt has been heaped on us because I either I do or I don't read my Bible every day, pray every day. And, and listen, I believe God wants to like break the chains of legalism and guilt and shame. I believe that. I believe that there has been a needed message that the church has needed to hear for a long time of the, the grace of God and the freedom that we have in him. And that we be set free from the mentality of like trying to earn God's favor or earn our salvation. So important. But friends, as we so often do in church circles, but in life, when we recognize a problem over here, we swing and do this wild overcorrection and just find maybe some, some health and freedom from that, but the new problem's over here. And so I, I believe for much of the church now, we've been plagued by the fact that we've lost sight of what it means to be devoted to God, of what it means to, to walk out just having godly disciplines in our life. I mean, we've literally turned the phrase like our devotions, those have become, it sounds burdensome, right? Like, did you do your daily devotions? Think about what it actually means to be devoted. I devote myself to someone I love. If I'm a devoted spouse, it means I love my wife, and so I'm gonna be devoted to her, to cultivating our relationship, to being faithful to her alone, to serving her. Friends, friends, godly discipline, being devoted, it should be rooted in the wonderful love relationship we have with him. It should be rooted in the radical grace and freedom that he brings. It's not an obligation to spend time with someone you love. I don't feel obligated to hang out with my good friends. I can't wait to hang out with my good friends. I get annoyed by the things in my life that interrupt and keep me so busy that I can't be with my good friends. I get frustrated when our family life is so busy, I don't get to just be present with my wife and kids. Does, does this make sense, guys? And so Daniel recognized this, like, I want God. I need God. And so he purposed in his life early on to say, God, this is gonna be like an anchor point for me to choose faithful, steady disciplines that get me in your presence, that cultivate and develop my relationship with you. I want you to consider this. Think about where this started in Daniel's life. Daniel chapter one, where we opened this whole series as a teenager. Before Daniel was ever facing the threat of lions because of his devotion, he was facing denying pork and peer pressure. Think about that. He chose a fast. He, he chose ways to be devoted to the Lord. He chose ways to not compromise. See, here's the deal. Daniel's time in Babylon started with a chosen fast. And now as we reach the end of his life, his devotion could cost him his very life. Friends, if we don't choose devotion when it's just inconvenient, please hear this. If we don't choose devotion when it's just inconvenient, then we won't remain devoted when the fire gets hot. 
This isn't meant to condemn us into being devoted. I'm just telling you a truth in life. If I don't choose when things are good and sweet, when I'm in the honeymoon phase of life to be devoted to my wife, when life gets hard and it could be easy to neglect that relationship, when some fights come along and it would just be easier to just be annoyed and frustrated than to like face it and work through the hard thing, or when temptation, God forbid, comes my way and I could cheat or go another direction. Like, like if, if we aren't committed to sowing into, if I'm not committed to sowing into that relationship and tending it and caring for it when it's good, what's gonna happen when things are hard? It's gonna fall apart. Guys, our walk with Jesus is no different. If we wait till life gets hard, we're in trouble. We can choose to inconvenience ourselves by saying, God, I want a purpose to live a life devoted to you. I had all these thoughts this week of like, you know, is there like a pathway I can offer, like some steps I could encourage? It's just like, I don't even wanna remotely get close to touching on something that just turns into like, a ritual, a habit, a routine. You know, Jake taught me if I just spent an hour every morning in God's presence that that's what devotion looks like. No, I can't tell you what that looks like for you. I can't define for you the things that, that may currently distract you or keep you from spending time with him. I can't tell you what it should look like in your life to dedicate yourself to spending time with the Lord, to being in his presence and watching how that affects you. What I can tell you is it's, it's needed. It's valuable, it's essential. Daniel's life speaks to this. I've said this throughout the series. Friends, we are living in times like Daniel's. We are living in a culture that runs in opposition to following Jesus. And we are surrounded by church members all over the place who don't truly walk with the Lord, who don't live devoted lives. They live compromised lives. They live distracted lives. Friends, it is so easy for us to just fall into the ways of the, of the world and the compromising church and just to get kind of lost in the culture around us. But it's so beneficial and it's so valuable if we will purpose in our hearts to say, God, I need you and I love you. And I want my life, I'm not worried about what my life says to people, but it will speak something because it will stand out. Daniel's life stand out, but, but Lord, I want my life to be devoted to you. I wanna be in real love relationship with you. I want my heart to belong to you. And so God, I'm gonna actively choose to inconvenience myself, to begin to implement in my life godly disciplines that get me in your word, that get me in your presence, that develop prayer in my life, that this becomes an anchor point for me that I spend time with you. Daniel purposed to walk this way. So when he's in his late 80s and early 90s and there's a threat of being thrown to the lions, he could just be like, okay. I would encourage you to read through Daniel 6 on your own. I've, I've looked at it a lot this week and, and weeks prior. There is zero sign anywhere in this story of Daniel 
wringing his hands, shaking his knees, worried about what it's gonna cost him. He's not begging God to get him out of the situation. Like you see none of that. He doesn't plead to his captors to not be thrown in the lion's den. He's been walking with the Lord so long. He's been so rooted in just the character of just being someone devoted to the Lord that whatever it costs him, it's just like, okay, I'll roll with the punches. Maybe I'm gonna get eaten tonight. Maybe I'm gonna see a really cool miracle. Who knows, right? The, the miracle is either I'm gonna be in heaven like real fast or I'm gonna get to see something pretty awesome happen in this lion's pit. He just, he isn't, shaken by what's happening around him. And man, my honest reflection on what it's been like over this last year, year and a half in my life, far too often, I've been pretty shaken. <laughs> I've been pretty worried. Uh, the Lord has, has lovingly and gently, but very honestly revealed some ways, man, I, I'm not depending on him. I'm depending on my own smarts, my own ability to navigate things, depending upon other people to help me get through stuff. And it's like, the Lord's just kind of like, I'm gonna strip all that away, buddy. Do you depend on me or not? And thankfully, in that loving way that he does where he'll, he'll correct us, where he has corrected me, he's used even some of the hard times over this last year and a half to like peel away false ways that I try to navigate through this life instead of just going, you know what, Lord, this is simple. I'm gonna depend on you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna be devoted to you. And if I get thrown to the lions, so be it. And if I get to see your miraculous power show up in the midst of difficulty, wonderful. But I'm gonna trust you. And that's what Daniel did. He, he trusted God. And so his life spoke. How do I know Daniel's life spoke? because his enemies knew right where to find him. Because when he heard the decree and he knew the document had been signed, he did what he always did, and his enemies knew he would do what he always did. And so the very next verse, verse 11, then these men came by agreement. That means they had made an appointment. We know right when we're gonna catch him in the act. And so by agreement, they came and guess what they found? Had Daniel broken his habit? Were the windows closed so they had to come busting in the door to find him there? Nope. They found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Friends, Daniel's life speaks. Our lives speak. What are they saying? What are they saying? I can tell you, I have never forgotten this. As a kid growing up, I knew something about my dad. If I were to get up early enough to discover it, I would find him in the living room, in his chair, with his Bible and his coffee. That's where my dad was gonna be. My dad was not and is not a perfect dad, a perfect man. But what I learned at an early age was he was devoted to Jesus. And probably more than anything else I learned my whole life growing up, I saw that. I saw that. And I'm grateful to my dad for that. I'm grateful. Our life speak. What's it saying? All right, number two. 
Not only did Daniel's life speak, Daniel's mouth spoke too. His mouth spoke too. Now, I want, you, I want you to think about this for a minute, okay? So Daniel's in this position of power. The king wants to elevate him. He's highly respected by the king. Some people want to come along and destroy that and tear that down. And so they talk and they scheme and they present a plan to the king. And the plan will absolutely hijack Daniel because it cuts to the core of who he is. And so he knows that's going on. Then he's aware when it's signed. Then these guys come along, they find him, and they bring him before the king because he's broken the rules. Then the king realizes what's happened. He wants to try to find a way out of it. Daniel's taken to the lion's den at the end of a long day where the king did everything he could to change the course of the story, and he couldn't because he was bound by the law. Daniel's brought to the lion's den. He's thrown into the lion's den. He's there overnight. He's sealed in. The next morning, the king comes calling out, Daniel, where are you? So think about this, this entire story. Think about all of the opportunities Daniel had to speak. Daniel chapter six, the first time Daniel speaks is in verse 21 after he has spent the night with lions. It's the first time in the entire story that he speaks. Daniel 6, 21 and 22. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. The first time Daniel speaks out loud to people in this story He's testifying after the fact of God's goodness and rescue. Think about this. Think of all the times he could have spoken and he didn't. When the plot was underway, he was well thought of by the king. He could have walked in and said, hey, those bros are lying. We didn't all talk and come up with this plan. They talked and came up with this plan. I'm not in agreement with this plan. King, you respect and believe in me? Well, I pray to God every day. And that's been the defining characteristic of my life. And so I'm not gonna have my life be put in harm's way because of these wicked men. He could have shown up and defended himself and tried to shut the whole thing down. And he didn't speak. He didn't try to interrupt the plan. After he was caught, he could have tried to defend himself. First of all, he could have lied. Like, he could have done that. Like, all they saw was me kneeling there. Like, I could have been doing anything. I guarantee you, this king was looking for an out. It says he labored. The scripture tells us he labored all day, stressed out, trying to find a way to get out of this. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly everything he tried to do. So this is my own imagination. This is not Bible. I'm guessing at some point, he was with Daniel going, bro, throw me a bone. <laughs> like, man, I need you. Like, look at all these guys. They basically schemed against you and against me to get rid of the guy I trust the most. We got to solve a way out of this. Listen, I, I know you don't compromise. I know you're really faithful. That's what I respect about you. But come on, man, just lie this one time. Just work with me here. Just this one time, just lie. I'll support you. We'll get you out of this. And then 
we, now we've identified all these guys that can't be trusted, we'll get rid of them and we'll rebuild this thing together. I mean, don't you just know that was happening? I've witnessed that stuff happen my whole life. Like, of course that happened. Daniel could have lied. He could have compromised. He didn't do it. Not only that, when he's being dragged to the lion's den and thrown in, he could have cried out in despair. I'm scared. I'm nervous. Help. No, he could have begged for mercy, anything. He doesn't speak. See, the reality is all along the way, he could have defended himself. He could have played the political game that was going on. He could have he could have stood up and said, they're slandering, they're lying, whatever. He could have done all of this all along the way to defend himself, to protect himself, and he kept his mouth shut in front of people. But when he did speak, the only time in the story he does speak before this moment, after God rescues him, he talked to God. He talked to God in the midst of the storm, in the midst of what was swirling, he didn't speak to men, he talked to God, as was his habit. Man, how often in my life have I gotten those reversed? I'm facing difficulty, there's a problem going on, and my instinct is, how do I fix it? How do I solve it? Who can I talk to? How can I arrange things? Oh, I'm being talked bad about, let me shut that down. Oh, this situation's unfolding over here. I don't like it. Let me get in the middle of it and try to fix it, get control of it. How quick I am to speak to people to solve problems or to shut things down I don't like. How slow I am to come to the Lord and say, God, you, what do you have to say? What are you calling me to do? Man, we, we gotta start getting this stuff in the right order when we're facing problems, when we're facing difficulty, when we're facing accusation, when we're, whatever, when everything's stacking up against us, let's be quick to speak to the Lord. Let's be slow to speak before men. See, Daniel also could have decided not to pray. It would have been easier not to. In fact, he could have just been like, you know what, it's a month. I'm not gonna like bow on my knee before the king, but you know, for a month, I could just kind of like, if I need something, I'll go to him. And you know, I could just do that for a month. It's not that big a deal. I could just stop praying for one month. Like I could do that. I've probably done that accidentally without even trying before, right? Like <laughs> I could just not pray for a month. Or maybe, you know what? God will understand. I can pray, but I'll just do it quietly now. I'll just kind of, you know, under my breath when I'm alone. I don't have to open the windows. I don't have to do it out loud. All these little ways he could have taken steps. He said, no, my habit is to talk to God before men. My habit is to spend time in his presence. And when I'm in trouble or in need, he's the one I go to. I don't try to solve it on my own and I don't try to figure out how I can manipulate the situation or others around me to get what I want. I'm gonna go to him. And that's what he did. Man, how many times in my life would I have rushed to speak before men, to defend myself, to expose lies and slander, to try to change or take control of outcomes in my life versus just trusting God? Friends, this thing right here 
causes a lot of trouble. Causes a lot of trouble. How quick we are to speak, how quick we are to defend ourselves, how quick we are to try to control situations with this right here. See, this isn't just about Daniel in this situation. Like, we're encouraged and warned about this throughout the New Testament. James talks about this in James chapter 3. Talks about the power of the tongue. Listen to this, starting in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Man, that is the truth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. He's like, this thing gets us into trouble and it can disrupt and destroy our lives. Verse seven, I love this. I've never read this in the context of Daniel's story before. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. There's lion tamers. Every kind of beast has been tamed by man, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. What this passage is showing us is something really important. The real dangerous and untamed beast in Daniel's life was not the lions he was about to face. It was his own mouth. And Daniel, now at the end of his life, has learned this. And so he remains silent before men and he prays to God. He uses his mouth for prayer. This is miraculous. Daniel had every right to defend himself, expose his enemies, seek their judgment. He does none of that. He does none of that. In fact, even when he comes out on the other side, he still doesn't declare judgment on his enemies. Do you remember what we read when he cried out to the king? All he did was glorify God. That's it. He let God protect him. He let God defend him. And on the other side of it, when he'd gotten through the difficulty, he praises God, he honors the king, and he never even speaks of his accusers. Whoa. Friends, the real miracle is not that God tamed the mouth of the lions. The real miracle is that Daniel's tongue had been tamed. That's the miracle. But see, that's the power of a life devoted to prayer. A tongue that devotes itself to prayer will experience a miraculous transformation. It'll shape our whole lives. The, the two verses prior to these in James, verses three and four. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
Our tongues shape the course of our life, so they ought to be devoted to prayer. Our tongues should be trained in speaking regularly and often with the Lord. And in so doing, it will direct the entire course of our lives. Guys, we think we can control people and situations and outcomes. We think we can use our speech to get our way. My kids sure think that. One minute, it's like flattery to get something from dad. The next minute, it's like I'm throwing myself on the floor in a tantrum to get something from dad. Like, but we all do it. We try to control and run our lives and the people around us with this. We defend ourselves, we accuse others. But the reality is this mouth was meant for praise. This mouth was meant for prayer. And if I choose to live a devoted life like Daniel and I devote my speech to prayer, it tames the tongue and friends, it governs the direction of our life. Because what I'm saying is I'm saying, God, you're the rudder of this ship. You're the one who leads and guides me. You're the one who's gonna navigate me through this life. By not getting caught up in all this other nonsense, I'm trusting you to guide and to shape and direct. Prayer changes the very nature of our speech and therefore it changes the course of our life. Friends, prayer is not about repeating some mantra I gotta say a few words before I eat. It's the language of devotion and relationship. And when I talk to the God who loves me and is devoted to me, it changes me. When I bring my needs, my petitions, my prayers to him, when, when I experience this exchange of me expressing love, trust, fears, worries to him. I turn my life into, instead of a life of trying to figure out how I'm gonna navigate things, I just go, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I wanna leave you with this. Daniel's wife spoke, his mouth spoke. I want you to consider two legacies. All right, I just wanna put both of these things before you. Daniel 6, 22, we read some of it a minute ago, and also 23. Daniel's defining how he made it through this to the king. And he says, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. What was Daniel's legacy? He entrusted his life to the Lord and he's rescued not from adversity and danger, he's rescued through adversity and danger. A life devoted to the Lord does not mean we will be free of difficulty. It means we can trust him to see us through it. Daniel's legacy was that he entrusted his life into God's care. What was the legacy of these other men? 
navigating through their world based on how they did things, based on that culture, based on how to move up. These were guys of influence, high influence. They were even at the very top of the kingdom. How did they navigate this life? What was their legacy? Verse 24, and the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Now, it's a, that's a pretty brutal, literal story. Like literally, their legacy came to an end. Them, their spouse, their children, their legacy came to an end. But friends, this, this is true on a much deeper level. When we live lives apart from God, when we live lives devoted on me getting what I wanna get out of life, when I choose to just be a part of the culture, a part of the mindset, and just navigate life on my own and figure it out as I go, guys, it will destroy us and we will pass that stuff on to our future generations. But when we choose to live lives devoted to the Lord, it gives us a lasting legacy. It gives us a clear path to walk. And it benefits the future generation. Friends, it's so easy to look around us and see the results of lives that have not been devoted to the Lord, even amongst the church and the devastation that that causes. But what's the story, what's the legacy if we devote our lives and our hearts to Jesus, to him and him alone? We entrust our lives into his care and watch what happens. I wanna leave you with this as we close this series. I can choose to entrust my life into the hands of the one who holds eternal life. That's a choice I can make. I can choose to entrust my life, my day-to-day, everyday life into the hands of the one who holds eternal life. I can allow the story of my life to find its place in God's great story of redemption. Daniel, Daniel is now in the midst of God's story. He gets mentioned in several places in the scripture, including Hebrews 11, where all these different people of faith are listed. He's listed in there. I can be devoted to the only one who is truly and always devoted to me. And if you got nothing else from this series, friends, God's devoted to you. He loves you. He is for you. He longs to be with you all the days of your life. What better place to put your hope, to put your trust, what better place to give your affection than to him, to live a life devoted to the one who's devoted to you? What steers the course of our lives? What's our legacy? May we draw from Daniel's example and choose to live lives, not perfect, but lives devoted to God. And let's watch what happens when that God is devoted to us and loves us and sees us through all of life's circumstances, all of life's difficulties. He's a God of redemption and rescue. He loves us. Amen? Let me pray for us. 
Lord, I, I want to say thank you, God, for who you are and what you do for us. Lord, anytime as we talk about trying to live lives for you, with you, live lives of devotion or courage, God, I just confess to you, it's so easy for me to like pick up the weight of having to do that on my own, to pick up a sense of obligation. Lord, I thank you that any devotion that we bring, it's simply rooted in your grace, in your mercy, in your love. God, thank you that you are faithful, that you love us, that you're devoted to us. Lord, may we choose to be people who are devoted to you. May we choose to entrust our lives into your care. May our life and our speech be devoted to you. God, thank you for Daniel and his life and his example. Lord, may we find that same path. May we learn to walk with you daily and entrust our lives into your care. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Um, I wanna give you some, some homework if you want it. I mean, nobody's actually gonna test you on this. Um, it was just something I stumbled across this week and I wanted to like work it through the sermon. It didn't feel like that was the place for it. Um, but I, I found myself just sometimes in my study, I get off on these little rabbit trails. And so I ended up in First Peter at one point and then he's quoting a Psalm and then I'm over in the Psalm. And, and I came across Psalm 34. You might be familiar with Psalm 34. Um, there's even references in it that kind of allude to Christ. It's a pretty cool Psalm. It's a Psalm of David. I just found myself reading this Psalm through the lens of Daniel and specifically this situation of his accusers and the lion's den, and it was kind of unbelievable. Like it, it almost even felt like Daniel could have written this, not David. So I, I can't prove this. I don't even know if this is true, but I found myself this week thinking, I wonder if this Psalm was on Daniel's mind at all. Maybe he was reflecting on it while he was in with the lions. I don't know but I would encourage you guys, maybe sit with Psalm 34 and read through it and think about it in the context of Daniel 6 and then more importantly, the context of our own lives and just see what the Lord might say to you. So there you go. There's a little homework if you want it. All right, love you guys. Thanks for your patience this morning. Um, Y'all have a great week.